Good morning, and welcome to your Friday Five, a weekly newscast from the Boston University News Service. It's November 22nd, 2019. I'm Susanna Sudborough. And I'm Hannah Harn. Today we'll take a look at our top stories from this week, including diversity in the recreational marijuana industry, a visit from Dan Rather, and Worcester's final goodbye to Fire Lieutenant Jason Menard. Let's get started so you can start your day. One of Massachusetts' greatest struggles throughout the legalization process for recreational marijuana has been expanding the pool of people who receive a license beyond wealthy white men. The social equity program was established through the Cannabis Control Commission in December 2018 to help those previously harmed by drug laws fill out applications and potentially receive a license. There is an online portal where anyone who lives in a designated area of disproportionate impact or has past drug convictions can be provided with training, technical assistance, and mentoring, according to the CCC's website. Unfortunately, the program has not been successful. As of September, only two applicants from the program have been issued licenses out of the 105 provisional and 79 final licenses issued. Senator James Eldridge spoke passionately about the bill he co-sponsored and why he believes it is important. The recreational marijuana establishment has been open almost entirely to wealthy white investors and business owners and put so many people of color at disadvantages, Eldridge said. We have a real explicit focus on social equity, but there is not significant funding set aside. The bill remains in committee after a hearing in early October in which two people gave testimony on behalf of the bill, according to Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz, chair of the Joint Committee on Cannabis Policy. This story was contributed by Meredith Farner. Fishing gear encounters are responsible for most serious injuries and deaths faced by right whales, according to a 2018 report from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and the odds of entanglement are rising by 6.3% every year. Scientists, fishermen, and policymakers met last week in Maine to discuss this issue at the Ropeless Consortium's second annual meeting. The North Atlantic Right Whale Consortium continued the discussion of right whale conservation at their annual meeting later that week. Stakeholders were brought together to share their information, providing a resource for management efforts. We here at the Aquarium have been working hard on looking at reducing rope strengths and trying to get ropeless fishing as an option to reduce risk, said Amy Knowlton, a ropeless consortium board member and a senior scientist at the New England Aquarium. The Ropeless Consortium, an independent nonprofit organization through Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, has facilitated discussion on recent technological innovations. According to the consortium, ropeless technology may eliminate the threat of entanglement while allowing fishing activity to continue. There is only one solution, and that is ropeless gear, said Dr. Christopher T. Taggart, a professor at Dalhousie University. He said oceanographers have been using this type of equipment for years. Yet ropeless fishing remains illegal, as regulations mandate fishermen use surface buoys to identify gear. Surface buoys serve as visual markers, allowing officials to check equipment and ensure it is being used legally. We made it to the moon and back with the technology and computers, less than what is in your cell phone, Taggart said. Why can't we stop killing whales with ropes? This story was contributed by Michaela Heiss. Former CBS correspondent Dan Rather instilled his wisdom upon several hundred Boston residents and young reporters about the challenges of journalistic truth-seeking and the future of impeachment in the wake of recent hearings. 88-year-old Rather visited Boston University Tuesday night to speak about his most recent book, What Unites Us, Reflections on Patriotism, 
and used the trauma he faced reporting for CBS for 44 years to advise aspiring professionals making their way into the news industry. Rather fielded questions from BU College of Communication students Sophie Eisenberg and Nick McCool, who quoted segments of the longtime anchor's book. The event was hosted by the Howard Gottlieb Center, which holds Rather's archive. Rather is the current CEO of the production company News and Guts, where he has worked since 2013 after being fired from CBS News in 2006 for reporting debatable facts about former President George W. Bush's time in the military. Journalism is not an exact science. It is, on its very best days, a kind of crude art. No one can do it perfectly, Rather said Tuesday. We reported a true story, but in the process of reporting that true story, we made some mistakes, and we had to face the burners and take the heat. Rather brought up the heat journalists face numerous times while reflecting on his career and focused on those in the ballroom who were not journalists when he said reporters are human and they too have emotions. I do think it's important to understand for those who aren't in journalism that on really emotional stories, Rather said, pausing, I can either take myself offline and deal with my emotions or close them off and push them away and focus on the story. In closing remarks, Rather encouraged young reporters to remember the values the industry expects and each reporter's own reasons for doing the public service they perform. Public trust in journalism has gone down, and we have a president who is unrelenting in his castigating of individual reporters and institutions and the whole practice of journalism, Rather said. I'm worried young people might say, this is not a good time to be in journalism. I would say this is a great time to get into journalism. This story was contributed by Sabrina Schnur. After almost three years, Colin Kaepernick made his return to the football field on Saturday in front of cameras and fans. The occasion wasn't a real football game, but a public workout aimed at showing NFL executives his arm strength and accuracy. I've been ready for three years, and I've been denied for three years, he told the media after the event in Atlanta. The former 49ers quarterback, who started kneeling during the national anthem as a form of protest against the oppression of minorities, has not played in the NFL since the 2016 season and is still unemployed, despite having formerly led San Francisco to a Super Bowl appearance. The workout could have been a big win for all the parties involved. On one hand, Kaepernick had the biggest chance in years to be back on the field. On the other, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell hoped to show the public that he had no malice toward the player who had sued the entire league. Instead, this fragile alliance collapsed like a house of cards under the burden of their egos. In fact, just a few hours before the beginning of the scheduled event, Kaepernick's camp announced the decision to move the event 60 miles from the original location and follow a different protocol. In essence, it became a whole different event without the blessing of the NFL. Despite the fact that 25 out of the 32 teams had allegedly committed to attending the original workout, only eight teams showed up at the new location, according to the player's agent. Analysis of the week that led to this fiasco has to start with the NFL. First and foremost, the league didn't even try to be subtle in showing that it wouldn't make it easy for the quarterback to earn his spot on an NFL roster. Despite the lack of formal communication between Kaepernick and the NFL since February, the league reportedly contacted the players' camp on Tuesday about the unexpected workout. It was reported that the player was given only two hours to accept and less than five days to prepare. In other words, after letting 968 days go by since the quarterback took a snap in the pros, suddenly the league had the sense of urgency of organizing a workout that could not be postponed by a few days. At this point, it feels like a PR stunt, said his friend and former teammate Eric Reed on Wednesday. 
An athlete like Kaepernick would be an instant upgrade to most quarterback rooms. So why is he still a free agent? As a matter of fact, Kaepernick's unemployment has nothing to do with the flag, the anthem, or the troops, but a whole lot to do with his personality, and Saturday's events confirmed it. By imposing absurdly strict conditions to the workout, the NFL just wanted to prove a point. Everybody has to abide by our rules, no exceptions. In a league that traditionally puts the interests of the NFL before those who are a part of it, Kaepernick committed the sin of reaffirming his individuality and standing by his moral principles. And because of that, in all likelihood, he will have to continue to make his own alternative plans on the weekends. This story was contributed by Matteo Venieri. For the rest of Matteo's column, visit bunewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. The sharp cry of bagpipes led another firefighter funeral march on Monday through the city of Worcester. Nearly a year after laying firefighter Christopher Roy to rest, St. John's Catholic Church on Temple Street held another mass, this time to honor 39-year-old Lieutenant Jason Menard of the McKeon Road Fire Station. While responding to a four-alarm fire at 7 Stockholm Street Wednesday, Menard aided two firefighters to safety. He is survived by his wife, Tina, and their three children. Jason had a passion for his job and was dedicated to the oath he took to protect the Worcester community without question, the city said in a statement. His heroic actions are proof of that dedication and his selfless commitment to not only his community but his fellow firefighters. During the Monday Mass held for Menard, Danny Pace, brother of one of the two firefighters who men- pick up during the Monday Mass held for Menard, Danny Pace, brother of one of the two firefighters whose life Menard saved, expressed his condolences. My brother was fighting doctors and nurses wanting to be here today, he said, of Christopher Pace's gratitude. Menard will forever be Chris's hero, my family's hero, your family's hero, all of our community's hero. As is tradition for line-of-duty deaths, the casket carrying Menard's body was placed on top of his older truck at a previous station he served at. In a sign of respect to his bravery, firefighters from different parts of the country marched alongside Engine 4 at Monday's funeral procession. The NFPA reports annual firefighter death totals nationally in the 60s since 2011, except for 2013, when 19 firefighters perished in the Arizona Yarnell Hill Fire bringing the year's total to 98. So far, the U.S. Fire Administration reports 51 firefighters have died in service in 2019. At Menard's funeral, Representative Jim McGovern, Representative Joe Kennedy, Senator Ed Markey, and Governor Charlie Baker came to show their support for the department and the Menard family. The Professional Firefighters of Massachusetts set up the Lieutenant Jason Menard Children's Fund the day after Menard's death in support of his three children's upbringing. It's a matter of brotherhood, my friend, said 35-year veteran Meriden, Connecticut firefighter James Brown. I've been here in 1999, 2011, and 2018. It's all out of respect. This story was contributed by Tony Chaushi. And that's it for your Friday Five. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. For the full versions of this week's stories, visit bunewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. We'd like to thank today's contributing writers, Meredith Varner, Michaela Heiss, Sabrina Schnur, Matteo Venieri, and Tony Chaushi, as well as our production team. This week's episode of Friday Five was produced by Hannah Harn. 
And be sure to check out our latest episode of Between the Bylines, where we sit down with our contributors to discuss our top stories through the lens of student journalism. Visit us online at bunewservice.com slash podcasts for more information. Thank mm-hmm. you.